Well, it would be helpful if you had your Bibles open um, at the, the passage we read from the book of Jonah as we, we take a look at that this morning. So this is it, the final part of our short series on Jonah. Today we get to the heart of the matter. We get some revelations, we get some answers to some questions, we get to the meat of the story. But first, just a short recap. In week one, we saw God calling Jonah, and Jonah ran away. Jonah ran, um, got into all kinds of trouble running away from God's call on his life. And we saw and were reminded that God is in control, always and of everything. In chapter two, we saw Jonah in the belly of the fish, where he came to his senses and he cried out to God. And we were reminded that salvation is the Lord's. It comes from God, only from God, and that it is his to grant as he sees fit. And then in part three, we saw Nineveh changing its ways in the face of Jonah's preaching. We saw Nineveh turning around and repenting. And we saw that need to turn around and to turn to God. Now, for some people, that's about as far as the story goes. Certainly a lot of kids' versions of the story end there. Um, The version that we used to get in assemblies in school tended to end there. It was a nice, neat story. God calls, Jonah runs, the storm, the fish, Jonah turns around and comes back to God. Jonah is sent again, Nineveh repents, God spares them. Happy ending. Well, not quite. Because we still have a few loose ends to tie up. We still have chapter four to deal with. And this chapter brings together a lot of the strands that we've been looking at. And it also confronts Jonah And through Jonah, us, with some hard truths. Because this chapter has something important to teach us about God. And it does so by showing us something disturbing in Jonah and by extension ourselves. Because the heart of the matter is, it turns out, a matter of the heart. We just have two headings this week. We're going to look at two things which are in conflict with each other. And they are Jonah's rage and God's grace. So first of all, Jonah's rage. We started this week where we finished last week, the closing verses of chapter 3. And they tell us that when God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil ways and had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah preached to the Ninevites. They heard and they listened and amazingly, they repented. What a result. What a witness that the nasty Ninevites, the notorious Ninevites, turning around from their ways and turning to God. Wow. I mean, surely, if you were a missionary or a preacher and you pulled off a job like that, surely you would be delighted. That's got to be the big moment. Is that how Jonah reacts, though? Well, no. We look at chapter 1, verse 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, literally the Hebrew says that to Jonah it was evil, a great evil. And the word for evil there is the same one that we've seen appearing throughout this book. It's the one that was used to describe the behavior of the Ninevites, which brought judgment on them. It was used to describe the disaster that was the storm that struck the boat that Jonah was in. And it's used to describe the judgment that God had threatened the Ninevites with and turned aside. 
And the word for anger is one which doesn't just describe being a little bit annoyed. It's one which describes a great, fierce, burning anger. It's commonly used for God's wrath. Jonah wasn't just miffed. Jonah wasn't just narked. Jonah was, as we would say, raging. Absolutely raging. Now, why does all that matter? Well, it matters because of what we're seeing here. As God's wrath is turned aside... Jonah's is kindled. What God sees as good, Jonah sees as a great evil. And to have the disaster turned aside from the Ninevites is a disaster to Jonah. This is messed up. What is going on here? Well, let's look at the passage for some clues. Let's look at what it says in verse 2. Verse 2, we have Jonah prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, if verse 1 was shocking, to the original readers. Verse 2 would have had them stood there with their mouths open, absolutely speechless, lost for words. Jonah prays, but what a prayer! And now we're getting an answer that was posed to a, to a question that was posed in chapter 1. Why did Jonah run away? Basically Jonah saying, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. You can almost imagine Jonah spitting these words out in his rage. Jonah ran away because he knew that God was merciful and he didn't want to see the Ninevites enjoying that mercy. Let that sink in. The words Jonah uses here to describe God, they're almost a direct lift from Exodus 34, where God himself uses them to describe who he is. This is what it says in Exodus 34, verse 6. And he, that's God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how God describes himself. What wonderful words they are, so full of hope. And in the mouths of believers, they form a kind of confession of faith of saying, this is the God we trust in. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So many of the key aspects of God's character that we are dependent on. What an amazing God these words describe. What an amazing God we have. But Jonah, Jonah takes these words, these wonderful words, and he throws them back at God as an accusation. You're always so gracious, so merciful, so compassionate. John L. Mackay wrote a, a commentary on Jonah where he points out that Jonah has what we might call an excellent theoretical theology. It's just his application, which is really lacking. His words, in some respect, are a perfect confession. But it is clear that he completely fails to grasp their impact. And this is all the more ironic coming at the end of this story, when you think about it. 
Because verse 2, verse 2 tells us that Jonah prayed. How many other times have we seen Jonah pray in this book? Just once. Just once have we seen Jonah pray. And it's the only other time in this book that the same word for prayer is used. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the writer is trying to draw our attention to chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 where we read, From inside the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From inside the fish. That's the last time, the only other time we saw Jonah pray was in the belly of the fish. It is incredible that Jonah is so dismissive, so angry about God's mercy when he's been the recipient of it in such a spectacular way. What a contrast between that first prayer where he recognizes his lostness. He calls out on God's grace and mercy and recognizes his dependence on it. And this second prayer where he rages at God for the very same things that he praised him for when he needed them. Because when he was in trouble, he was all about the mercy, wasn't he? But now that it's being shown to someone else, well, that's a different story. Back in chapter 2, Jonah also said something during his prayer, which we, we picked up as being kind of key to the whole story, where he said, salvation is the Lord's. Salvation is from the Lord. It comes from him. It is his right to grant it as he sees fit. But now that God has done that for Nineveh, Jonah is basically crying out against God. How dare you? How dare you, God, show mercy to people who I don't think deserve it? We've seen a lot of irony in the book of Jonah, but this time it is jarring. Because what Jonah saw as a blessing when he enjoyed it, he's now talking about it like it's a curse. Because somebody else is getting to enjoy it. In fact, if you look at verse 3, Jonah says he would rather die than see the Ninevites be shown mercy. God's mercy saved Jonah's life, but he considers that to be a bad deal if somebody else gets the same mercy. He would rather die. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of makes me want to take Jonah and shake him and say, what is wrong with you, man? What is wrong with you? I mean, does Jonah even deserve mercy if he's going to behave like this? Oh, hold on. Because when I start thinking like that, am I not doing exactly what Jonah did? Because it's easy for us to look at Jonah and to tut and shake our heads and even to get angry. It's easy for us to be shocked at Jonah, but it's a little bit harder when we have to look at ourselves and see the same thing right there. Because that is at least part of the point of the book of Jonah. It is to make the reader take a long, hard look at themselves and see Jonah looking back at them. Because at heart, we are all Jonah, are we not? All of us think there is someone who doesn't really deserve grace. Be honest with yourselves. Who would you struggle with if they came to Jesus and they were saved? Family members or neighbors who you don't get on with? Person who made your life a misery at school? 
racists, drug pushers, wife beaters, child abusers, serial killers. They're all in the news. There's somebody that each of us would struggle with. That we would doubt their conversion. That we wouldn't want to see them saved. That we would be even just a little bit snide about them. Because deep down somewhere, we don't think they deserve grace. And you know what? In some respects, we're right. They don't. But here's the kicker. Neither do we. It's kind of the point of grace is that no one deserves it. Tell you a little story. It's said that there was a, a young soldier in the army of Napoleon Bonaparte, and he did something wrong, he stole something, he was court-martialed, and he was sentenced to die. And his mother went to the emperor. She went to Napoleon, and she pleaded for mercy for her son. And Napoleon is said to have said to her, tell me why he deserves mercy. And the mother's reply was, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. All of us fall short of God's standard. That's why we need mercy. It's why we need grace. But the good news, and it is good news, is that Jonah was right in another way. Well, he rejected the ramifications. He was right in his description of God back in verse 2. That God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He was right about God's graciousness. So having seen Jonah's raging reaction, we now get to see, by contrast, God's grace. As he challenges Jonah and the reader. If we look at verse 4, the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Even in confronting Jonah, God shows gentleness. He asks him a question, inviting him to think this through. If salvation is the Lord's, what right do you have to be angry when he gives it and when he grants it? But Jonah is still having none of it. So in verse 5, he goes off to find somewhere he can sit and watch the city to see what will happen to it. Now, I don't know what Jonah was expecting. Was he maybe hoping that his angry rant had persuaded God to change his mind again and that he would destroy the city after all and that he might have a nice seat to watch it from? I don't know. Was he so twisted up inside that he was prepared to sit there in the desert just on the off chance? Who knows? But I guess he wasn't completely stupid because at least he built himself a shelter. But it can't have been a very good one. Because he still needed the plant that God provided to ease his discomfort. Now, that word where it says God provided a plant, guess what? We've seen that word before. God provided the plant the same way he provided the fish. What does that remind us? That reminds us that God is in control. Always. But there's a wee bit of a lesson for us here as well, because Jonah had attempted to build himself a shelter to provide for his own protection, and it wasn't enough. He needed to shelter under God's provision. Do you see yourself in that? We often try to provide shelter for ourselves, but our own provision is never going to be enough. 
we need to realize, you need to realize that you depend on God always. And just to drive the message home, having provided the plant, God takes it away. He provides a worm that eats it, it shrivels and dies, and then he provides a scorching wind. And just like that, Jonah goes from rejoicing in the plant to wishing he was dead again. Just like he did in the fish, God gives Jonah just a taste, a sample of what it would be like to live to be without his grace. Just a taste of that. And Jonah does not like it. So God asks him another question. He says, are you right to be angry about the plant? Has Jonah learned his lesson? No, he hasn't. Do you know what? He's as stubborn as we are. So God makes the point clear. Jonah was concerned for, literally had compassion for, the plant even though it wasn't his doing. Well, God says, if you could feel that way about this plant, which you had invested nothing in, how should I feel about Nineveh? A city full of people, people who are made in God's image, people who really didn't know any better, who don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, people who don't know what's right and what's wrong. And what's this weird verse here about the animals? Well, I think that's a bit of humor, but it's also a rebuke to Jonah. Because I think it's a callback to chapter 3. Because when the Ninevites put on sackcloth and they fasted, there's this weird bit where they make their livestock take part as well. They put sackcloth on the animals and they make them fast as well. Now, that is not something that God has ever asked for. But the Ninevites didn't know that. They didn't know any better. They didn't know what they should do but they weren't taking any chances. These people that Jonah would have thought of as ignorant pagans, they went over and above just to be on the safe side. Whereas Jonah, who probably prided himself on his knowledge of the right way to worship God, Jonah's busy arguing with God. The Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy, but they needed it. The same was true for Jonah, The same is true for us. The same is true for you. Even if you've been a Christian for years or decades, every single moment, we stand in need of God's grace. We can do nothing without it. And God is more concerned that our hearts are right than he is that that we are living with perfect religious observance, if you like. Which doesn't mean we should be sloppy. If our hearts are right, we should want to move towards right actions. But if our hearts aren't right, then our actions never will be. So in our other reading today, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus told a story that a lot of us are probably familiar with. The parable of the prodigal son, or the parable of the two sons, it goes by different names. Now it was told to a bunch of religious people who were sneering at the kind of people Jesus was hanging out with. You know the story. We have the younger son. The younger son runs away from the father's love. He breaks all the rules. He lives his own way. Until he comes to his senses, realizes what a mess he's in, and he comes back whereupon the father welcomes him. And then we have the older son, who it's easy to forget about until we reach the end of the parable. And he comes out angry. Angry at the father's largesse. Angry at the father's love being shown. 
He's stayed at home and he's worked hard for a father. But he thinks that gives him the right to tell the father who he can or can't show his love to. And when he shows his anger, that shows that he doesn't really love the father at all. So Tim Keller um, has written a book called The Prodigal Prophet. He does a much better job than I can of showing how these two stories connect to each other. But suffice to say, Jonah starts off like the younger brother. He's running away. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you are still running in the wrong direction, running from God. Eventually, though, he comes to his senses and he receives God's mercy. But then he switches. He goes from being the younger brother to being the older brother. The one who should know better. The one who should be looking out for and taking care of his wayward siblings. But instead, he wants to put limits on the father's love. Does any of that sound familiar? If you've not yet turned around and come back to the father who loves you, then now is the time. Jesus came in order that you can do that. He died to pay off our debts. And then he rose again to show that they were paid in full. He is the way to the Father. But if you have done that, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then, oh, we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard that we don't put fences around our heart and try to limit God's mercy. That we don't try... To stop other people from enjoying it because we don't think they deserve it. Instead, we should delight with God when that happens. We should want to see it so badly that we cannot help ourselves but tell people what God has done for us and how great God is because we want to see them saved. We need to repent to turn around from our hard-heartedness and to turn back to God, just as the Ninevites repented. We need to remember, as Jonah cried out, that salvation is of the Lord. It is the Lord's. It is God's and his alone. And it is not ever up to us to decide how God gets to bestow his grace. And we need to remember that God is in control of all things at all times and everywhere. And we don't get to question that. Now, both Jonah and the story of the parable of the sons, they finish kind of unresolved, don't they? Jonah is sat there in the desert, wishing he was dead. And the elder son is standing outside in the night while the party goes on inside. He's out there scowling. But the invitation to both of them still stands. And that invitation stands for you as well. Whichever brother you are right now, because let's be honest, a lot of us have been both of them. Wherever on Jonah's ark you are right now, Jesus stands there and says to you, come in. Come in and know what it means to enjoy the Father's love and grace. Come in. Accept his grace and let it transform your hearts so that as more and more people are brought into it, we rejoice with God and his angels that every sinner saved 
just as they rejoice over us. Don't stand in the dark. Don't sit on the sand. Hear Jesus call. Come into him. Be transformed by his grace. Amen.